have you ever fallen for the middle sized starbucks cup after you saw the big one and the small one well that is our brain reacting to the third decoit theory a behavioral economics principle our brain plays a big role when it comes to making decisions and at some point or the other all of us have fallen prey to it and the same applies when we make financial decisions as well behavioral psychologists and economists have spent years on research to understand the behavioral biases that influence what we do with our money there are a bunch of biases such as optimism bias loss aversion bias status quo bias overconfidence herd behavior etc that come in the way of making rational financial decisions in fact modern theory of investor decisions suggests that investors do not always act rationally while making an investment decision hi there i am tanya marwa and welcome to a brand new episode of insuring india a podcast by digit insurance on this episode we have with us anya samik associate professor of economics and strategy rally school of management at university of california san diego anya's work on various topics including charitable giving education and health includes over 100 academic questions among the other papers her work analyzes how different modes of education can affect early childhood learning and adult financial decision making so hi anya welcome to insuring india and thanks so much for giving us your time it's a pleasure to have you with us thank you it's very nice to be here So Anya when you agreed to have this chat with us honestly the first thing that I was excited about personally was that I'm about to learn from you about the power of prompts and how it can be used to make kids choose healthy eating and actually I'm I'm a mother myself of a 2 year old as I do I was telling you before this call and I'm kind of set on helping him make better food choices so for our listeners could you first help us understand what are prompts and how do they affect human behavior i'm sure so i also am a mother i have two daughters a 6 year old and a 3 year old um when i started a lot of this research i didn't have my own kids but uh what we were doing is going into school uh lunchrooms um and working with parents directly to try to encourage healthier eating behavior and i think the idea here is that we've approached historically the idea of improving healthy eating through educating people. So maybe if we provide you with more education about nutrition, maybe you're going to make better choices, maybe for kids we have classes on nutrition, etc., but it turns out that people already have the information, but they often don't take the steps that are the best for them. And right. so that's where prompts and nudges come in. So this idea comes from behavioral economics that in the time of the decision perhaps you can change something about that environment to prompt people into healthier choices because at the time of the decision um just think about yourself if you walk into your um a meeting at work and they're offering snacks there and you've told yourself well, I'm going to eat healthy today but then there's delicious uh sweet foods and then you're going to eat it anyway you're not thinking in your mind about the education that you had about nutrition right and so that's kind of the idea is that people need more than education to try to improve choice and so what we did with the prompts is we had a really simple experiment we had kids in a school lunchroom who walked through the lunchroom and in the US they pick out they pick a, a tray of food and then they have a couple of choices about different side items that they can pick um 
some drinks that are sweeter drinks and then some drinks that are not sweetened. And what we do is we try to nudge them to choose the healthier drink option. And so there we have the cafeteria worker just say, oh, try this one, try this one. And we try to add some kind of information to that. Like, try this one. It tastes good for the ones that are the healthier. And so we get kids to choose healthier that way. But unfortunately, what I have to tell you is that what works the best is when we give kids rewards. So anytime you provide an incentive um, for adults, it's a financial incentive often. So a big discount or a big um, a big bonus uh, for kids. We actually put little stickers that they could keep on top of the the drinks that were healthier. And that's really what gets that's really what works the best. So nudges work to some extent but it's the incentives that end up being the most powerful. That's that's something that I, I do, you know, uh, feel with my kid as well. But uh, in the long term, do these incentives, uh, you know, do the kids like, for example, depend on the incentives to choose the right behavior or does it become a part of their attitude towards food? So you're asking a question that's still an open question in the literature. And it's this idea of, do incentives help kids or adults form better habits over time? Or do incentives reduce the intrinsic motivation to eat healthy in the first place? And it's really hard to study that question because you need a lot of experiments that last for a long period of time. And this is something that we're investigating now. We think there's some evidence that incentives form habits. So the more you eat that food um, through getting the incentive, once we remove the incentives, we do see that kids are still choosing the healthy food more often, but we only run it for a few weeks. And so I think one thing is, yes, there's some possibility that habits are formed. But the other thing we're kind of learning too is that these choices that we make, are we face a lot of um, there's a lot of desire to eat the unhealthy food and that doesn't go away. And so I think having different types of incentives or nudges through time is important. So we can't expect to run some program when the child is two and then right. from there on when they're three, five, six, seven, eight years old, they're going to suddenly be healthy eaters because they were in that initial kind of nudges program. Right. right? So it sort of has to be you have to create environments that all the time help promote healthier behaviors or better financial behaviors because people are impulsive. They, they'd rather choose the thing that's worse for them that makes them happy in that moment than to think ahead uh, for their future. All right. So, uh, Anya, like, for example, when you talk about adults and you did briefly mention adults as well, that nudges work, work on adults as well. Um, there is this concept that, you know, when you grow up, logic is also something that you do understand, right? So you don't expect probably a child. I, I know that as a mother, I do try and explain, but that's not something I expect the, the, my son to understand. But when you talk about adults, you do expect that behavior. So there, what is the, you know, if I have to make it into a percentage, then how much of logic and how much of nudging should one use? And how different is it with adults when you talk about nudges? So no one's looked at a study that directly compares adults and kids, but we have also run studies with adults. So my favorite project that we did over the course of the last couple of years is we looked at the food choices people make for their current self versus for their future self. So we all have an idea of what we'd like to eat next week. And then when next week comes around, we actually can observe what you end up choosing to eat. And so the way we did that is we were in a grocery store 
and we had people participate in a food delivery program. So people came in and they had a choice of 20 foods and there were things in there like um, pastries and buns and breads. And then there were also things in there like vegetables and fruits. And so they could form a basket of foods that they wanted to be delivered to their house next week. And then when we arrived at their house with the delivery, we allowed them to change their mind. And so the choice they make in the grocery store for next week, we think of that as the choice for their future self and the choice right. that they make when they are allowed to change their mind. Basically, we bring all the same items that were available before and we say, if you want, you can switch things around. We think of that as a choice for the immediate self. And those two things don't match. And so it turns out that many people make healthier choices when they're picking groceries for their future consumption than when they're picking groceries in the moment. So people are taking the candy instead and giving back the cucumbers and the apples that they thought that they were going to eat. And so it does show that among adults, um, this is also a problem. But if you also think about the other study we ran was with parents of kids where parents were choosing snacks for their kids. And there's this partly this, this idea that when your kid is crying and wants the unhealthy snack, you also give in and give it to them. So, so I think it, between the kids and the parents, there's a lot of this impulsivity that happens. And those are kind of the, this impulsive nature of humans is what we try to nudge through these incentives and through changing the environment. Right. So, Anne, that's something very interesting because I remember when I joined Digit and I don't come from an insurance background. Uh, we went through this entire research where we were meeting people and understanding from them how do they make financial decisions, how do they work around with insurance. And it, you know, because it's an aided uh, research and it's like uh, people are answering for themselves and also for their futures they have absolutely correct answers where basically they will say that I do need insurance, I need to buy insurance for my family, etc. But when you do ask them, do you have insurance right now? The answer is no. Um, for various reasons. This month, I you know purchased this instead of insurance. I purchased this instead of you know buying a, a, another financial product. So I think that's a similar pattern which we see in financial decision making as well. So what has been your experience with that? How does um, this kind of behavior, which is impulse versus future self, work when you talk about financial decision making? I think you have it exactly right that these kinds of uh, behavioral biases that we observe in people are manifest themselves in all of these different domains. So they happen in food choice, they happen in exercise. So people right. will make the membership and then they don't go to the gym. Right. Um, and it happens also in financial decisions where the when we ask people, do you want to save for the future? They say yes. And then when they're actually choosing whether to save, they don't save. So a really nice example of where um, where where we see kind of uh, disconnects is also with with um, the the way that we that we create the choice environment. So I, I think the difference between food and insurance or um, saving is that we can kind of want to we, we want to try to improve the choice environment there to maybe make it easier for people to make that choice. But it's harder right. for us to intervene. I think with nudges in that. Space. All right. So you think it's harder to intervene with nudges in the space of financial decision making? 
I think there's another aspect of financial decision making that makes it different from food, and that's that it's much more complex. And so another thing that I think happens is people procrastinate complex decisions. Right. And there's a really nice study on uh, retirement saving enrollment decisions in the U.S. So in the U.S. we have 401k plans that are offered through your employer. And this is a, a retirement savings plan where basically part of your salary goes every month automatically into this 401k plan. And they're confusing and you have to make decisions about how to invest in them. And many people don't opt into the plan. But right. what they do in the study is they randomly assign some of the new employees to have to be automatically opted in. And so they have to opt out. And so they change it from an opt in to an opt out. And they suddenly see a lot of people who switch to having the 401k plan because they simply do nothing when the decision is complex. Right. So one of the things that I think is sort of nice in that kind of setting is that when decisions are complex, people are even more susceptible to nudges actually because their preferences right. are not as well defined. So right. you might know for sure what your preference is for a chocolate candy versus a cucumber, but you know much less kind of your preferences around some of these financial products. So in that way, in that way, nudges work well, right. but they do fa you do face the same problem where people kind of have the impulse to spend their money on other things. This is this product that's kind of confusing. It's right. uh, doesn't seem important in the moment. And so it's put off to the future. So procrastination is a big part of these biases as well. Right. So uh, along with procrastination, which we also, I mean, have faced and we've been also as a company fighting that at the various stages, actually as an entire industry, insurance has been fighting procrastination, especially for insurance categories like in India, motor insurance is mandatory, mandated mm -hmm. law. But uh, when it comes to health insurance, that's not something which is mandatory for people. So mm -hmm. that's if people procrastinate. Uh, along with that, there have been biases that we see like optimism bias in people where they think that, you know, I am very healthy. Uh, nothing is going to happen with me, especially for youngsters, mm -hmm. actually. They say that, you know, when you're the, when you are healthy is the best time you should get a health insurance. But unfortunately, that's when your mind tells you this is not the right time. Mm -hmm. Right. So what have been the other biases you've been seeing uh, with procrastination that make people say, for example, in a case like insurance, it is optimism bias. What other biases in overall, uh, you know, like you have been studying a lot on risk diversification. Where do people go wrong or what are the biases that are at play so that, you know, people can kind of know that this is my mind doing it. So what can be the biases we can tell them? I think this uh, this idea of time preferences and overweighing the, the present for the future is a really big one that kind of covers a lot of this. So overweighing the present means that I'd rather spend my money on something I can have now than put it into health insurance that may or may not help me later. Present right. bias also explains why every day that goes by, I choose to procrastinate getting an insurance plan. And so I think right. that's a really big one. One study that we are um, we're working on uh, writing up right now is in the U.S., uh, health insurance is mandatory, but there are these en enrollment windows that happen for um, 
couple of weeks each year and you have to enroll within that window otherwise you may not qualify and so one thing that we see is that most people enroll on the very last day even though they have the whole couple of weeks to do it on the very right. last day they go in and they pick their plan and they enroll and that could be a problem because we also see some evidence that a lot of people miss that deadline then and then there are some penalties involved um, but right. we also potentially might have this idea uh, problem where when you are under time pressure your choices are not as good and so one thing we did is we offered people $25 gift cards on the day they enrolled so this isn't a very big incentive relative to the penalty you might face if you don't have insurance right and it's not even a very big amount relative to how much you pay for your insurance plan right but these uh $25 gift cards which were immediate basically we actually mailed people the gift card and then we loaded it with $25 immediately when you got the insurance so it was like you get this money right away it turns out those had a big impact on getting more people to sign up earlier right so i don't know if it would have an impact on getting people to sign up at all because that wasn't our study right. it definitely right. had a big effect so Here I think is a good example of how you can harness the biases people have in the first place to build your nudges is that you um people want immediate rewards so you right. try to provide immediate rewards even when they are enrolling in a product which has kind of long-term rewards show sure, rather sure. than rewards so you bundle you bundle your products with things that make people excited right now and I think right. that can help beyond just education about the importance of these things. Absolutely. Uh so Anya you also have uh, done a lot of study around behavioral manipulations and I think the example that you did mention is somewhere in the manipulations uh, zone as well. So what are the other behavioral manipulations that you have seen working with people uh to make decisions earlier? So one is like say for example a gift card that works out. What are the other nudges/ slash manipulations that work with people to you know make the right decisions for themselves make the right decisions um i think i like the incentives the best so as i mentioned i think those are going to always work better than any kind of nudge you can have uh, other things that people are very responsive to are learning about what people around them are doing so if sure. a large if i believe that very few people have insurance but then i learn that actually most people in my company also have health insurance that might right. encourage me to purchase health insurance. So right. we see that also in the charitable giving literature that I work in where when you're deciding whether to give to a charity or not learning about how many other people in your class have also given right. to that charity really in- encourages people to give. So peer we call that peer effects, so the effects of right. what peers are doing that's a pretty strong um has a pretty strong impact. Sure. Um in some of my other work like you mentioned my work on financial diversification that's a little bit different so there we're thinking about this problem where insurance uh decisions are hard financial decisions are hard and how do we simplify those in a way that's easy to understand so rather than offering a lot of classes on how to understand the material we currently provide about these products can we actually design a decision tool that helps walk people through that decision without having the education or without having even I had the education but maybe it was in college and now it's 5 years later and I don't remember so I think um simplifying the decision space when it comes to financial decisions can also be very important right. and uh, providing visual ways 
figuring out visually how to represent things, figuring out like even um, showing like a visual of of all the people that are in your age category, how many of them end up using insurance. These are kinds of information that as economists, we think people are able to gather on their own and that people do gather on their own, but I think that they don't. So people really don't seek out this kind of complex information. And so providing it can also be helpful. Right, right. So uh, basically in this kind of a social grouping, what I do realize is that, you know, uh, I every person categorizes themselves in some kind of a group. It can be basis age, it can be basis gender, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So that is how, you know, people kind of say that, okay, for 30 year old or 40 year old like me is not having insurance and I'm kind of left out. Or for example, if I'm not purchasing this kind of a SIP, then I'm kind of left out. Uh, mm-hmm. so when you talk about breaking down decisions, does that also mean that as a financial services provider, uh, it is better to not overload people with a lot of information and not give them too many decisions as well? Or is it just breaking it down? I think that's a very good question. So I gave a talk, this is 10 years ago now, at a health insurer in um, in the US. And so sure. I was talking about information overload. So this is this idea that we as insurers or we as academics might think that more information and more options are better. So the more options I can provide, the more likely it is that every person could find the best option for them. But it turns out that's not really how it works. And so at this health insurer I was meeting with, I was telling them, you know, when people have information overload, they kind of give up. They just try to find the first thing that seems like a good idea. Right. And the insurer was everybody there was so excited to learn about information overload. And they're like, this exactly explains what happened last year when we offered our employees a hundred different plans. And like this binder, we thought every employee could find the best plan for them, but it turned out that most people pick the very first plan in the binder. So they just (laughs) look at the binder, it's really big. And they say, okay, what should I do? They pick the first plan or the second plan. And they were saying, we were so confused because those weren't the best plans. So some of the other plans were actually much better in terms of being cheaper, but still offering the same coverage. And it's clear people can't make those calculations on their own. So the fewer things that you can provide, the better. And we also devised a tool to help people compare plans We tested this in lab environment, but basically we show people for their age category what we think their medical expenditures will be. And then for plan that they have access to, we show them the costs under that plan for any possible outcome that you might have. And we show it in the graph, so it's just on one page. And that helps people really understand kind of the benefits of of insurance in a very simple way. And I think much as we can providing information about what your peer group faces like the likelihood of your peer group having this type of surgery or having this type of illness and how that affects your your expenditures with and without insurance i think that should help people understand the value a little bit better than right now where right now it's a little bit abstract so we give them numbers but people are not great at understanding especially probabilities people are not great at understanding probabilities right 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 absolutely and and I think there is this entire uh, you know negativity around the whole concept of insurance because of the nature of the job that we you know do, which is basically protecting or cushioning people when they are in their worst times. And often as a communication person, you know we struggle in this uh, 
decision of how much negativity is good uh when we're talking to people and because negativity is important because that's the entire idea that we are trying to you know communicate um especially when we talk about life insurance you know though we are a general insurance player but uh we say we see this pattern also coming around in life and there the topic that you're dealing with is death right so i can talk about hospitalization i can talk about an accident but as soon as the word death comes into the picture i think everybody's mind just kind of closes down uh mm-hmm. so in your opinion and you know um is how can we make this conversation about death easier for people how is that possible and is that possible firstly so that's that's a little bit outside of economics i think um maybe maybe a mental health expert would would have more insight but i i think uh framing it in terms of protection for your family if something should happen is probably a, a good thing to do so i think um trying to focus on this idea of how does your family through time have a uh, good standard of living should anything happen whatever that might be is is probably the best so i think rather than focusing on on death focusing on the right the insurance aspects right on the positives of having insurance during difficult times all right So last question Anya and as we close the talk um when we're talking to youngsters what would be the best way to communicate to them uh, especially at the time when they're you know having the first salary or you know the first package of their lives uh, how do we communicate the idea of first you know like risk diversification and uh, the biggest risk is their health firstly and especially mm-hmm. at the time when they feel that they are like on top of the world they are the healthiest everything is going great uh, what is the best way to nudge or manipulate their behavior as you mentioned you know uh, to make a decision that is good for their future selves so how how do we make them choose the right diet for their future uh, you know uh, financial planning um that's a great question i think we need to do much more to try to understand the best ways but i would say anything you could do to make that decision have positive immediate rewards sure. like maybe there's recognition or parties or or kind of gift cards that they get or some special gifts that make them feel like they made the right choice but they're also being rewarded in the moment i think these are the kinds of things that probably work well in tandem with providing education because it's really tricky i think nudge people um when they are not looking to the future there was an interesting uh study i once listened to where people used um technology to try to make people's faces look older and then they showed that when i show people images of their of how they'll look when they're 40 that makes them identify more with their older self and it makes them make decisions that are more aligned with their um with with their future goals because it's hard to imagine what will be the world will be like or how you will be like when you're older people have a really tough time with that so i guess immediate rewards and then anything you could do to link kind of not suggesting everybody gets a picture of how they'll look when they're 40 but anything you could do to make people more identify with how uh, with their future self 
can help to kind of make that the weight on the well-being of your future self bigger. Right. All right. Uh, Anaya, I mean, I'm kind of already uh, feeling quite rich with the insights that you've told me as a communicator. Okay. as a communicator as a person from the insurance industry uh, as a financial planner myself for my own family i think there's so many things that i've come to know uh, especially the whole idea of uh, you know how one plans for one's future self i think the best uh, insights in any field are the ones that you listen to and you can say that oh i have come across this so i uh, one should always remember this whole concept of you know how people pick on their future self for even things like food and uh, that's the simplified version of how people choose for their financial decision making so whoever is listening to us and is from the industry or is a consumer themselves i think don't forget forget this example and whenever you're buying or making any future financial decision just think you're planning for yourself 10 years down the line So thank you Anya and again um thank you so much for joining us and I, I and I'm sure people will really enjoy and they will probably uh think about uh, diversifying their risk more after this and maybe even eating better thank, thank you, so you so much it was great to be here